being with us this weekend. Um, Dr. Schmidt has pastored many churches. Uh, he has a lot of pastoral experience. He's got a great pastor's heart. I know that. He is also um, taught at Pillsbury Baptist Bible College in Owatonna, which now has closed. Um, he is uh, taught at Northland Baptist Bible College over in Dunbar, Wisconsin, and he's also been on the faculty at Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Not only that, but he's been teaching modules consistently and all types of topics of the scriptures, and he is a uh, tour guide both to Greece and Turkey and to Egypt, Israel, and Jordan. And this is a man who um, just loves the gospel and loves the Lord, loves the word. And uh, just, I think, as of January 1st, he was asked to be the interim president of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. So he's busy. He's got a great uh, full schedule and uh, doing a great work serving the Lord. But we are so glad you took time to come and preach the word to us. Thank you. Again, it's good to be with you, and thank you for making that extra effort uh, to be here. I know it's a weekend. You're committing most of the weekend to that, and we're grateful uh, for that. Thank you for that uh, effort. And for your interest in God's word, that that word ancient, that song "Ancient Words." It's I'm maybe it's four, five, six years ago when I heard it first. I, I love that song. That's great, super song, and powerful words. And that's what we're here uh, for to learn God's word and then put it into practice. Uh, my uh, life verse would probably be I, maybe about three, but one of them is Ezra seven ten. Let's talk about Ezra. He was in Persia, and he's getting ready to come back to the land of Israel. And it says, for Ezra prepared his heart. Now, what did he prepare his heart to do? To seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And I think that's what we all want. We want to know it, and then do it, show it, and then bestow it. We want to share it with others. And it's a delight to do that, and it's a delight to do it here. Uh, my wife and I have talked. We... Uh, just it didn't take long to realize uh, a really neat and good church, and uh, we realized that last night. We knew because of your pastor, uh, we just love him and appreciate his heart, and we got to know a little more about where we'll hear his testimony even more last night. And then the fellowship with you is great. Now, please, if I don't get your name right, you know, don't be too upset with me. Maybe a little bit. So I'll remember, but I'll try to get names. And then, unfortunately, tomorrow night, uh, we have to uh, head back south to Owatonna. But the snow's not a whole lot uh, less down there in Owatonna. It's a little less in Iowa. Actually, we live in Owatonna on weekends in Iowa four days a week, or maybe a little more than that. And that leads me to say we do have on the back table there some information concerning Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. I know many of the young people from your church have been there, and there's just a sign-up for information to get you on our mailing list. We send you all kinds of junk mail. Well, not really, but there are specific areas here. If you would like to check, we'd be glad to get those to you. And then uh, uh, areas about scholarships. We just have some real strong initiatives for the uh, end of, through this year and next year, and we would uh, like to, uh, for you, if you're interested, or know people that would profit from that, in fact, we're targeting pastoral and missions, in particular in individuals first time from a new church or camp, and uh, pray for uh, that. And also, uh, just before 
I went back to faith. I retired for six months, semi-retired for six months because we were preaching holding conferences. And exactly six months after my contract was done, we went back down to faith for the four days a week. But we were partnering with the ministry, still are, but it'll be uh, inactive a little bit. It's called Shalom Ministries. Brother Craig Hartman from New York City was an attorney. And uh, this little uh, gal that worked there in the office with him started talking to him about the Lord, and I think that's his wife, Lori, now. He's established Shalom Ministries and just has a Jewish heart, being a Jewish person himself. And Jen and I are actually partnering with them. We represent them in the Midwest. And if you take a prayer card, pray for us. When I'm done, at faith, uh, we'll do this more full-time with Shalom Ministries. But feel free to pick up a... Uh, prayer card and pray for us if you would. We would appreciate that very much. Last night we talked about uh, uh, child training, child rearing, and there was an assignment at the bottom. Did you notice that assignment at the bottom? I don't grade it. Uh, I, I, you know, that's for you and your uh, mate to study together. What should my relationship with my child be? And uh, what should we be doing in the lives of our children? Now, there are two words in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, 1 and 2, that say, this is what God expects from a child in his relationship to his parents. What are they? Number one, obey. Number two, honor. Okay, what are the reasons for that? Obey because honor your parents. Yeah, quality of life, quantity of life, that it may be well with you. We'll review that just a little bit uh, tomorrow morning as we look at the whole spectrum of the Christian home. And then as we talk about it, we're to bring them up, nourish them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, might God uh, use us to establish and to train the next generation. Uh, when we talk this afternoon, or the, yes, this afternoon on the attacks in the home, I, want, there's a, I have a great burden uh, for passing on tradition. Now, I sound like, you know, a liberal or something when I say that, but I mean the right sense of the term, okay? And so we'll talk about that. But right now we're talking about the first marriage in Scripture. Now, I, I remember sitting down with a, a couple at Faith, and his name is uh, uh, Shonda Shaker. Uh, that's his first name. Ed is his last name. His wife's name's Irene. Some of you know him, you know. And I, I said, to, how did you two meet? Not a good question to ask somebody from India. And necessarily, their marriage was arranged. Well, like they kind of knew each other, but and that's not bad. Let me talk to you about the first arranged marriage. In fact, there weren't any options. Uh, God made Adam and then he made Eve. And that's what we're talking about. And so if you look at the first marriage before sin entered the world, directly from the creative hand of God, you should say, I think in Genesis 2, we're going to get it firsthand exactly how it ought to be, at least in principle form. Then you read the rest of the Bible, and here's what it's like. So let's talk about the first marriage when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 2. And we want to know just what did the Lord have to say about marriage? How did it come about? Well, let's bow for prayer just for a moment and ask God's blessing on our consideration together. Father, we uh, are here, as we've just sung, uh, to look at the ancient words, words that are beyond ancient. We realize they're eternal. They're an expression of your character and what you're like and your will. And we read in Psalm 1989, forever, O Lord, is your word settled. 
in heaven. So you've given us the privilege to look at that, which directly reflects who you are and draws our attention to you. So cause us, as we look at this first institution you ever established on planet Earth, as we look at marriage and the husband-wife relationship, encourage us, motivate us to be like you and to reflect what you want accomplished in our relationship as husband and wife. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Marriage, the first marriage, the first arranged marriage. Here's how God entires marriage to be. Number one, marriage is God's idea. Is God's idea. You can go to a secular university and you'll sociology, anthropology, whatever class you go to, and you probably hear it like this: People evolved. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it, it takes more faith. I have a book. It's on apologetics in my library. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Believe if I just thought this all popped into existence, just a human eye, 21 things, at least 21 things have to happen all at once for the human eye to be right. Darwin didn't know anything about micro, microbiology, believe me. If he knew anything about microbiology, I doubt if he would have ever started what he did. In microbiology, we have cells and their right hand, left hand, and they all have to mesh. There is no such thing. A mathematician would tell you it is statistically impossible for a cell and the parts of the cell to come together. It just, it just can't happen. But if you want to believe strongly there's no creator and I don't want to be accountable to him, you better come up with a good idea. And that's not evolution because that's not a good idea. It is statistically, even Gallup said it's statistically impossible. Well, beyond that, that's not what we're here to talk. But you, the sociologists say, well, they evolved. And it just happened to be that a man and a woman evolved that were compatible with each other in the same place, and they could reproduce and reproduce children, and they wouldn't zap because, whoops, that chromosome was out of place, or or whatever. No, you would have that. And then they would say, then they sort of had group gatherings, you know, and they lived communal living. This is not rocket science, but communal living. And finally, somebody said, you know, why don't we just pick one mate? Because I'm really having trouble remembering all these anniversaries. And he just, let's just pick one mate, and then we'll, have, we'll be monogamous. That's not the way it happened. God, on the sixth day of creation, created Adam. In fact, that's where we are right now. Sixth day of creation. Genesis chapter 1 gives us a great summary about the entire creation of the cosmos, everything that's in it, and then he focuses on planet Earth. The Bible, in a sense, is really an Earth-centered book because God focuses his attention upon planet Earth. He created on the sixth day Adam. Now, as we talk about this, we'll get there in just a second. After God created something, the usual pattern, God created, and on day this, he created this, day that, he created that. And what did God say when he he was done with that creation? He said, this is what? Good. And then he created, this is good. And on the sixth day, when God was done creating everything, he said what? This is very, oh, no, on the, on the sixth day, very good. This is very good. Now, and so we're used to hearing that, right? Good, 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 very good. That brings us to Adam in chapter 2, in note verse 18. And the Lord God said it is not good. He said, what? Wait a minute. Sin didn't enter until chapter 3. And God said, this isn't good. So it's not evil. It's not moral challenges we're talking about here. 
It's just there's one more piece to the creation puzzle. And when I say that, God put it all together. And so God said it's not good, and that sort of startles us. Why did God say it's not good? Okay, you ready? Let's finish the verse. All right, That's always a good idea, okay, uh, to take verses in context and finish and begin right. It says, And the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. That's what's not good. Just man by himself. My wife goes to ladies' retreats, you know, once in a while. And McDonald's stock goes up. Uh, well, it's not good. I mean, I could boil water probably over into the stove. I, I, I toast usually, and it's not too black. Uh, no, there's some things I could do, but I'm telling you, it's not good for me to be alone. I could probably get stuff in the washer dryer and realize you don't mix black and you know or dark and white colors and all. I'm telling you, it's not good for me to be alone. Now that's not what God's talking about here. Okay, it goes well beyond that. We're talking about just not what a person does. We're talking about essence. This isn't good because here's what the Lord says: It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Frequently, you hear the phrase "helpmate," and that's okay. But it's not help me, mate, it's help meet. Woman is appropriate, is a compliment for man. God made man and wife complementary. And that's what God meant. Now we have a compliment. But we're not there yet. God just said it's not good. We're not there yet. And then God interrupts. You just say, it's just like, okay, you see Adam. You say, that guy is amazing. You know, I don't know what his biceps are like, but I, I think he was in good shape. No sin, no problems, really perfect shape. I am too, only I like to trim the shape down a little bit. I, I, Adam was in perfect shape. But God wants to drive something home because it's not good. There needs to be a compliment to Adam. And he, and he gave Adam a task. Now this shows what the mind is like before sin affected it. What's the task he gave to Adam? Note what it says in verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. You see, chapter 2 is an expansion of chapter 1. But it doesn't go through all six days. It expands on the provision of earth for man, and then it expands upon man himself. And now he has a responsibility to name Note, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now, all the species weren't there necessarily. All the kinds were there. But they walked before. Trinosaurus rex, okay? And I don't know if he gave them that name, and I couldn't say it in Hebrew if I did. If I could. And so he goes to that, Trinosaurus rex, lion, cat, mouse, flea. Mosquito, probably a different function it did today. Uh, everything goes by. He names them all, just spontaneously. Try that. Just, just come up with ten names of animals right now, just spontaneously. You say, well, no, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just okay, good. She's ready to do it, but okay. So this, if you do, he just came up just like that, just immediately. He named them just like that. God's doing this on purpose because as Adam is doing this. Well, note what it says in verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. 
But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. You heard me mention the name Les Ola. Les Ola says at this point, Adam said, where's my hippo? Because he saw Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. Mr. and Mrs., you know, all along the line, Mr. and Mrs., all of a sudden, Adam thought, wait a minute, something's missing. You know, I can go up and pet them. You can go up and pet a lion anytime you want to, tiger, perhaps use them as a pillow. The ribs may have been a problem. But the, the, all those animals were tame. And he named them, but he said, wait a minute, there's something lacking here. And that's what God meant when he said, it's not good doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It just means, and I think it's almost like a pause in leading us up to make us realize God wants us, he wants our attention. He said it's not good. There's not a comparable person for Adam. Adam names all the animals, and then he realized, wait, I need a compliment. I need a help meet. And so note what he says in verse 21. After God intervened, Eve's creation... And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs or from his side and closed up the flesh in its place. No problem. I don't think stitches are required. God just took it out, made the woman supernaturally. As he did that, note verse 22, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and said, and brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, Pastor Brian, you had Hebrew when you were in Israel. Do you remember the generic word for man? Ish. Yes, ish. That's super uncomplimentary. <laughs> ish. Okay. <laughs> Women, don't try this at home. Okay. Ish. What is the Hebrew generic word for woman? That's right. It's ish ah. A woman is a female man. What that means is she's taken from man. She's a compliment to man. So you have ish, the big brute. Okay? You have ish ah. And then it's wow, like you said. And when Adam saw Eve instantaneously, I mean, this all took place in the sixth day. Instantaneously, Adam knew, this is my counterpart. Uh, this is my Mrs. Giraffe. Uh, th- this is it. This is what I've been waiting for for an hour or two. I was naming all the animals and figuring out there's not a compliment here. He says, ish, ah, oh, this is now woman. It's a compliment. So when we look at this, in that first marriage, note what verse 24 says, therefore the man shall leave his father and mother. And by the way, there weren't any in-laws yet. All right, this is built into human nature. Now, get along with your in-laws. I know there are a whole bunch of jokes about in-laws, and uh, but I, I had a great relationship with my mother-in-laws. I didn't play as long as I didn't play skitball with her. Well, anyway, uh, no, good relationship with a mother-in-law. Don't have problems with your in-laws. You say, well, they're not saved, or that's that's okay. You can still cultivate a good relationship. But God builds it into the human race already before there's such thing as an in-law that you leave your family. Now, when I say leave, that doesn't mean you don't have anything to do with them. It just means you establish a separate home. And so it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That first marriage came about 
Because God said the exact counterpart of a man is a woman. And God gave them a super relationship. And he gave them the ability to have children in their image. The first marriage shows God wants the best for us. Because Adam realized, God himself said this isn't good. And then God made Adam realize there's something that you're lacking. And when Adam saw Eve, he said, this is it. Now, marriage is God's idea. He invented it. He made it. But when you see how it all worked, it leads us to the second thought about that first marriage and what God intends as marriage. Marriage is for companionship. Note with me, if you would, verse 18. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Note verse 20. And for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Our wife ought to be our best friend. We are made for companionship, husband and wife. And there, there just can't be a closer friend than that in our lives. And let me just say, secondly, that more, note in your outline there, Roman numeral 2, capital A, man and wife, in their relationship, it's more than just for reproduction like animals. It is. Now, you're up here, deer, once in a while, moose. Is there moose season up here? Like, not this year. Anyway, you don't find... I mean, and excuse a little inelegance, but you don't find a buck in, you know, in rut, okay? And, and he comes up to this nice-looking doe. And if you're hunting for antlers, no doe looks nice, okay? But anyway, there's this nice-looking doe, and he says, Listen, would you like to live with me for the rest of your life? That's ludicrous. Or moose. Would you, would you be my mate for life? That's just not built into them. God built into them reproduction. We're not just animals. God gave that as part of our life and enjoyment in life. But that's, we're not just built for reproduction. The animal world that happens, man and wife are built for companionship. And just to enjoy each other on all levels of life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, God's great intent is for the relationship to be that. So when he said it's not good for man to be alone, and you see how it comes, carries out, you want to help meet for him, it goes beyond just a physical relationship. In fact, we're created, and we will not take a lot of time like this, but note chapter 1, chapter 1. In verse 26 and 27, chapter 126 and 27, it says, Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Well, the environmentalists have trouble with that one. Over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. The image of God created he, him, male and female, he created them. There's nothing else, nothing, nothing else. They may have breath, but they're not made in the image of God. There is something unique about the image of God. We're made in that image. If that's the case, then our relationship ought to reflect 
the image of God with each other. And what is that? How do you get to the closest of the members of the Trinity talking to each other? Well, you get it by looking at the Bible. But the closest you'll get to the members of the Trinity talking to each other and get a listen in on it is John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer. Now, you say, wait a minute, that's in Matthew. No, that's the model prayer. The Lord never said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us because the Lord never trespassed, okay? Well, I'm not going to change that anyway. But John chapter 17 is a prayer he prayed on the eve of his death. And he showed the relationship that he had with the Father. We'll not go to the verses. You can go to those verses on your own. Number one, he talked about the fact that there's perfect unity between Father and Son, between the members of the Trinity. He said, duh, I would expect that. But if we're made in the image of God, and our relationship is to reflect the fact that we're image bearers of God, it just goes and stands to reason that we ought to have one of the goals of our life, if we're companions in life, that there's a unity established there. You may not see everything just right. Your wife may have, you know, things in the drawer, and, you know, you, know, you have your T-shirts one place, your socks here, and everything else. And she may mess them up once in a while, you know, the blacks and the whites or whatever. Uh, and, and that's fine. That doesn't mean that, you know, there's no unity in your family. It just means you have different views on the doctrine of socks. But you need to say, one of my goals, it's just blasphemy to even think there could be such a thing as disunity between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we're made in their image, then we ought to say, one of the goals that I want to have in life, no matter what it is in life, is to have unity in life. Just say, that's, that's the way it ought to be. Secondly, and I think it's probably on the other side of your sheet there, love. Jesus talked, and if, if we didn't have this in John 17 in the Bible, you would say this is blasphemy. Because Jesus said, we have a great love between each other. And I'm paraphrasing it a bit. Father and Son have a great love between each other. And he says, you love them like you love me. Now, that, that, if that weren't in the Bible, we'd never believe that. Now, there's unique love between Father and the Son. But God... Loves the believer like he loves the Son because we are in Jesus Christ. Now, I realize there's a distinction, but God's love to us is well beyond. We, we get really legalistic at times and think I have to earn it when all we have to do is enjoy it because he wants us to experience his love continually. If there is amazing love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and there is, then we ought to say that's a relationship I had to develop with my wife with my husband, because we're made in God's image. If nothing else, at least the unity and love. By the way, that'll pretty much take care of everything else, okay, right? If our heart's for unity and our heart's for love, which is, well, what is love? Note, uh, we've got just three things here. Number one, it's an expression of character. Sometimes marriages get ruined, or an individual says this, and he's really not talking about love, or she's not talking about love. You say, I don't love you anymore. And theoretically, that's a put-down on the partner. There's something about you that I don't love anymore. That is not a put-down on the partner. It's a put-down on the person that's saying that because love is not, in essence, based on the worth of the object, though that person is worthy. Love is an expression of character. God so loved what? The world in rebellion against him. Hating him. I mean, just look at the world today in a condition. 
God said, okay, when they pass that marriage thing, uh, that was so clearly worded in Minnesota, I understand. You know, when that, when that thing was not passed, so I'm done loving the state of Minnesota. It's done. All those people down there are history. Uh, same thing in Iowa. The judges did it down there. And you say, when this happens and this happens, God says, okay, that's the end. Mm-mm. Love is based upon the expression of character of the one that's loving. So if we say, I don't love you anymore, It's not putting the person down. It's putting ourselves down. Because love is to be part of the character of a believer. And God says there's to be a love relationship. In other words, it's unselfish. I'm willing to do something for somebody else, even though it comes to the ultimate sacrifice. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What does that word gave mean? It doesn't mean you just sent him to earth. It means he sent him to go to the cross. The ultimate sacrifice. So love is an expression of character. It's a choice. You say, well, I thought love was just kind of a giddy feeling. You know, it's, and we'll talk about that if the rapture doesn't take place, which is fine. Uh, tomorrow morning a little bit. It's not just a giddy feeling. Now, I don't want to be irreverent, but like we've been talking, can you imagine the Lord's relationship when he loved us and gave himself for us? That means he had a really giddy feeling. You say, no, no, I mean, that's blasphemy to talk like that. Yeah, it probably is. He willfully, intentionally has our best in view, so God chose to demonstrate his love. Our love for each other's husband and wife is, a, you say, that sounds cold. I mean, you know, it's a choice because I know, and God's not against that, there are all kinds of romantic feelings in your relationship. You know, and and so you, last night we mentioned it, you go to these places where they can't afford electricity and they just have candles. At least for a woman, that's great. And and you say, I like like to see what I'm eating. But anyway, this romantic atmosphere, all this other, that's great, no problem. But then sometimes you say, well, you know, the romantic relationship, it was love at first sight. But after about five million sights, you know, I don't have the same sensation uh, anymore. Listen, that's not the essence of love. The essence of love is a choice to put another person first that God has brought into your life and brought you together to do what's for their best. So when we talk, if we're going to reflect image bearers being like God... We're going to have unity, we're going to have love. It's a choice and it's unconditional. You know I really like spare ribs. But I don't like Cajun. In other words, I don't like them when they're super black. You know, I, I sort of like them that they're edible. And so you come home and spare ribs, okay, I don't love you anymore. You know, I love you if I get good spare ribs. I love you if you do the laundry. I love you if you do the dishes. Mop the floor once in a while, but it's not so slick I fall on it. All these, listen, that's conditional love. It's not I love you if. It's I love you. You can't imagine members of the Trinity saying I love you if. We're in their image. Husband and wife love each other unconditionally. We, we need to hurry Marriage is the closest relationship upon earth. You read in chapter 24, they become one. In Matthew 9, 19, 5, and 6, it talks about 
the marriage year one and God established that, will not turn there for time's sake. This relationship, the closest relationship on earth, is second only to our relationship to God. Now, there is no way I'm going to be jealous, or my wife is jealous, if she loves God more than me. In fact, we're in trouble if our mate doesn't love God more than us. If we become their idol or they become our idol, pretty soon we're going to become disillusioned. And that's not putting a wife or husband down. That's just saying we're human beings. So it's second only to our relationship to God. Let me just say, you can't have as close a relationship with anybody else and not sin. You can't have a closer friendship or emotional relationship or physical relationship or spiritual social relationship with another lady or another man and not become sin than you have with your husband. In fact, that's the way all the quote-unquote affairs get established in the office sometimes. Oh, my husband is so mean to me. And then the, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And all of a sudden, oh man, he's really sensitive to my needs. Not to mention he signs my paycheck. But he's so sensitive to my needs. No, that's just a problem right there in embryo form. That you start sharing with somebody that not hear your heart's needs. Maybe there's a counselor, a Bible counselor, but you ought not be sharing your deepest heart needs with another member of the different gender or its sin. It's the closest relationship on earth. But then let me just say this. It's the continuing relationship. You know, there was a point... Husbands and wives, many of you, most of you, the, uh, I raised some not married, but when you left home, you established a home, and when you were 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, whatever it was when you got married, you established a whole new home. And when kids are born, children are born, you know, it, it, it's a whole new difference to your home, Right? I mean, things change. And then pretty soon it's hockey and it's concerts and it's piano recitals. And, you know, it, oh, man, you say, unbelievable. And your focus becomes that way. The problem is, in a lot of homes, the husband and wife don't keep dating. The husband and wife don't keep building their relationship together. They just center in their children. Now, there's a whole different love for children, and you need to sacrifice and love your children. But one of these days, the last one's going to go, and the nest is going to be empty. You look and say, who are you? Oh, that's right, you're the mother of my children. That's not the way it ought to be. Love is the closest relationship in marriage, husband, wife. It's the continuing relationship. When all the kids are gone, that relationship ought to be getting better and better and better because you're best friends and you're just growing. And so it's a continuing relationship. And let me just say, fourthly and uh, finally here, marriage is devastated by sin. And let me just talk about this. Adam and Eve were naked. They didn't think anything of it as you read chapter 2 and verse 25. But the barrier that sin produced is unbelievable. Can you imagine Adam and Eve? They never had an argument. Never. Never disagreement. Even... now. I'm not sure what the furniture was, but it was early Persian Mediterranean. And Eve said, and I, I think sin occurred pretty soon, but Eve said, you know, Adam, that uh, rock that we sit on, uh, could you move that over here just a little more? And this 
tree that we sit under, he's not going to move it, but, you know, we're supposed to trim and, and so on. Could you kind of cut that branch off? They never disagreed about anything in the Garden of Eden, never disagreement whatsoever. Then the serpent comes along, and I think this was pretty early on, really early on. The serpent comes, tempts them. Eve's deceived. Adam willfully partakes of the fruit. What was it? I don't know. Some say it was an apple. It was not the fruit on the tree. It was a pear in the ground. It was a problem to begin with. And so they partook. And as they partook, all of a sudden they realized they were naked. Before sin entered, no problem. But all of a sudden they realized they were naked. And they, I don't know how they did this. And I, you know, fig leaves. They're not super big. You know, they put fig leaves together and made clothes for themselves out of fig leaves because God would meet with them in what we call evening today and he'd walk with them and they hid from God. What's the problem? They know sin came. Their conscience is in effect or just all of a sudden activated like that. And God said, Adam, where art thou? He knew where he was. He said, well, you know, we're back here in the bushes and... Because we're naked. Guys, who told you we're naked? Did you disobey? You know what Adam did first thing? Beautiful relationship before. That woman you gave me. Can you imagine Eve? Never had an argument in their life. Never had a disagreement in their life. But when sin came, immediately, there's a devastating effect upon their relationship. When Eve finally took her breath in from Adam looking at her and blaming her for this, and he's actually blaming God, the woman thou gavest me, passing the buck, as soon as sin came, passing the buck came. All God really wants for every person on earth is to be honest about our sin. And then he gave the solution, the animals. I can't even imagine what that was like for them to see one of those animals die, for them to be able to be clothed. Sin has such a devastating effect on the relationship. Don't allow sin to get any lodging whatsoever in your life. We'll look at this probably a little more, maybe later today. But the Bible says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. That's the favorite verse of men in the north slope of Alaska. Because during the summer, there's about an 80-day stretch when the sun doesn't set. That's not what it says, and that's not what we're talking about. It is saying this. Let not the sun go down in your wrath. Be angry and sin. Be angry and sin not. The only way that you can be angry and sin not is to be angry at sin. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. And then the next phrase is super dangerous. You either give place to the devil. The first marriage devastating experience came because of the entrance of sin. When we don't deal with sin and humble ourselves before God and before each other with sin and confess before God and each other, if that's the case, we are giving place to the devil to ruin our relationship. Sin has a devastating effect upon the relationship between man and wife. We just need to say, like Adam should have, I did it, it's my fault, it's my blame. But I can't imagine when he said that to Eve and to see the expression on her face all at once when he blamed her for what took place. Don't look at the other person. Look at yourself and make sure your relationship's right with God. Restore it with your mates. Sin has a devastating effect. God invented marriage. It's a beautiful relationship between man and wife. It's for his glory. It's for ours good, our good 
Let's cultivate that best friend relationship under God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will minister to us. Thank you for these individuals that are willing to take a Saturday out of their lives uh, to come and to hear your word and what you want us to know about marriage. Bless every home here, uh, each member of every home, for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Brian. All right, amen. Well, let's take a, a short break here. Uh, looking at our schedule, we'll uh, take a break until about 10.15. Gives us about 20 minutes or so. And then we'll uh, come back up here for another session. And then after that session, we'll have lunch together. Um, the, they're preparing tacos for everybody, so we'll have a taco lunch. And then we'll have our third session. But again, just take a break here and enjoy one another.